Welcome to another edition of Global Investment Leaders. Thank you all for joining me for another edition of Global Investment Leaders. I'm Chaz Burkhart, CEO of Rosemont. Today, I'm very pleased to be joined by my old friend, Arminio Fraga, who is co-founder and co-CIO of Gavia Investments in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Gavia is both a global macro hedge fund and emerging markets-focused private equity firm. Arminio also worked for Soros Fund Management and Solomon Brothers earlier in his career, and he was president of the Central Bank of Brazil. Yes, it's a pleasure. Look forward to our conversation as always. I actually think when we first met, you were a professor at Wharton, and I know you were also a professor at Columbia, and you played a pretty mean game of golf. But in addition to that, it seems to me that you've had one of the most varied careers and that you have meshed a life of public service, investment management, and teaching all through and throughout the world of finance. It's, it's, it's been an incredible 40 plus years. And, and kind of my first question for you is, what are your primary observations about excelling in academic life versus as an investment professional, as a commercial investment professional? Uh, very good question. Academics tend to put a very high value on uh, rigor, uh, originality. And if you're in economics, as I am, also on, on technical skills, developing new statistical techniques, uh, writing fancy models and so on. Whereas in, in, in the investment world, but also in, in the policy world, but particularly in the investment world, um, you have to be rigorous. I think the market will punish you without uh, uh, any uh, doubt, but um, you also have to uh, have a good sense of um, kind of the, the odds of something working out um, and on how you adjust um, and so on. Um, some premium on, on originality, figuring something out, some premium on, on uh, very highly uh, scientific technical analysis. But for the most part, I think we're talking uh, rigorous thinking, i.e. intellectually honest thinking and, and good judgment. Well, after teaching at Wharton in Columbia, you worked at Solomon and then you worked for George Soros. And I'm curious kind of what were some of the kind of great lessons learned from George Soros and Stanley Druckenmiller? Well, I, I was very fortunate to, to work with, with two giants. At the time, uh, Soros was already uh, devo devoting more time to uh, philanthropic uh, initiatives, but he was still around, so it was good fun to, to see him in action. And then Stan, of course, was I was very close to, and it was, although we were the largest hedge fund in the world at the time, uh, we were a very small shop. And Stan uh, really kind of led uh, pretty much according to what I just described, uh, is, is um, intellectual honesty, uh, the ability to, to learn, the ability to read, uh, sort of complex uh, qualitative information, and then putting it to work. Um, 
So it was a wonderful experience. And, um, and I learned a lot from both, but particularly from, from Stan. Um, and, I, and I'm lucky to still be a friend of his and, and, I, and, I, and I keep learning. It's uh, he's just one of those special people. Paul Arminio, you co-founded Gavia Investments in Rio with offices in Sao Paulo and DC as well. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that you set up Gavia to be a emerging markets specific and Brazil centric hedge fund that on the back of that also created a very attractive private equity business. That's right. I, I started out um, you know, with, with um, a strong uh, group of colleagues, uh, small but a good fit um, with a hedge fund. It was uh, inspired by, by Soros, but you know, without uh, Michael Jordan and uh, Tom Brady uh, uh, on the, on, on the, in, you know, in the field. And uh, it was, and still is, you know, research driven and we tried to manage risk well. And what happened along, quickly along the way was we started seeing opportunities in Brazil that um, required a little more time. So we went to our investors to, to give me, you know, three to five year money, we'll, we'll build a book of, of illiquid uh, opportunities, private equity, uh, small cap stocks and so on, always with, um, with governance. Um, and, um, and that uh, worked out well. We've done uh, five funds uh, and with, um, you know, with good numbers and, and, and I believe uh, a, a, a good approach. I, I enjoyed that very much. It's a, it's a very enjoyable business. I got to know Brazil better than, than I ever had. And um, we're, you know, we're still at it. Well, I think you are, and you usually are a little bit modest in this case. And I can't speak to the Soros or Druckenmiller returns, either of Soros or of Duquesne, but uh, as far as I know, you in all five of your funds basically beat public markets by over a thousand basis points over long tenures. So it's pretty successful stuff. And I'm, I'm curious what you would consider the drivers of that success? Um, the, the part of, of, of the process that I liked the most was that of uh, trying to be a good partner. So that's sort of what we had to offer. And we were, what we were looking for all the time was for you know, outstanding uh, businesses led by outstanding leaders that needed some help to go up to the next level in certain areas that we felt, where we felt we could add value. And, and, and here we're talking things like uh, governance, um, strategy, finance, risk, uh, people, compensation, things you, you know extremely well how important they are. And, uh, and we, we, gave a lot of, we, we, we gave a lot of attention to that and as a result, over time, we were able to, um, um, to find good investments at, at a fair price that had um, you know, the potential to, to become bigger and, and better. Uh, we were sector agnostic. Um, and uh, it, in the end, you know, it, it worked out. We did, I think we ended up doing 
close to 60 investments. So we were doing about one a quarter. Mm -hmm. um, and um, all with the same uh, general approach. Well, Gavia was a, a successful business for a long time. And that was noted by JP Morgan, who came in and um, took a stake in the business and was your partner for a period of time and then ultimately exited. Can you just summarize the thinking around that? Yes. Um, the thinking was at the time that uh, JP Morgan could be uh, a, a, a good um, partner for us to transition away from, you know, my, my main uh, partners um, into, uh, you know, a new uh, generation of, of, of managers. And, and, and it worked out well. Uh, JP Morgan was, was an excellent partner. Uh, the only thing was that, that, that at, some, at some point, into the, the relationship, we realized we, we like being in the trenches better than running a, a JP Morgan size uh, organization. They, they, have every, they had every right to, 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 to want that. That's of course their, uh, their thing, uh, but we decided uh, it wasn't what we wanted. So we ended up parting ways uh, nicely and, and we, we remained good friends. Uh, and we went back to sort of being a boutique, uh, yeah. which, uh, which is kind of what made us happy. Yeah, and it's a little bit rare, as I think you're inferring that you, you took the relationship for the right reasons. I think you extricated yourself for the right reasons to kind of go back to what you loved most, working on the investment engine, spending more time with both thinking about clients, investment issues, personal uh, personnel issues of your group and less about commercial issues, administration, reporting, scaling, things yeah. like that. Yeah. So I think it's, it's great that you've um, you kind of come full circle and you know, that actually worked out pretty well. But lest we forget, um, as I kind of hinted to the audience at the beginning of this, there was a stop before you got to, to found Gavia. And that was, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were a director or the president of the Central Bank of Brazil and you helped lead the commodities and derivatives exchange in Brazil, did you not? I did. Um, the central bank uh, was uh, uh, where I was before I went to Soros and after. Before I was the equivalent of, uh, of uh, a governor of the Federal Reserve Board. And when I left um, in, the, in, in a sort of a crisis uh, situation and I took over as chair, um, it was the most fascinating, uh, rewarding, um, stressful experience of my life. Uh, very glad uh, I did it. Um, it required, um, I think, a lot of uh, a combination of, of skills that matched my, my background. So I was fortunate that, that things uh, worked out pretty well. After that, I, I, I had always thought of, of um, having, you know, my own business. I really wanted that. When I was at Wharton, I was, a, as you know, I was a visiting assistant professor, had a two-year contract in the finance department, loved it, but I realized um, I, I, I didn't want to do that, uh, you know, full-time. Uh, but then I, I was already looking at, the, at the, it was the early days of emerging markets investing in the, the World Bank and the IFC had a database for stock markets, and I and I studied that very hard. I really felt that was something uh, that uh, 
that I wanted to dedicate my, my time to. It ended, I ended up doing it later, but the, the, the seed was planted in my mind. I always thought the complexity uh, uh, of, of investing in an emerging market was, was interesting and it matched my, my, my background. You know, I grew up in, in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. It's a, uh, you know, it's a lovely, beautiful country, but, but, but it's kind of crazy. And, and, <laughs> and I felt those, those skills were, were potentially useful and I wanted to, to give it a shot. So there was need as much as there was desire on your part. You saw challenges and problems that you could address. So let's, I mean, as a lifelong economist and having a global macro view, give us a sense of kind of how you view the world today, um, given the myriad challenges of supply supply sludge, um, Russia, inflation are we headed back to the 70s there's a lot of factors that are kind of coming together in a confluence of worry what are your thoughts yeah i am worried um i guess we're paid to be worried uh, but I, i'm as you know personally I, I i'm i'm a more optimistic type but uh, i what i see now is 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 pretty amazing i might have said something similar 10 years ago 20 years ago there was there was always some issues but but now you have the following thinking a little bit uh, with my my investor hat we've had 40 years of declining interest rates that seems to have come to an end they can't really go down much further and right now you know you have uh, the opposite you have uh, very high inflation in the states uh, in europe um, you have massive uh, supply side issues driven by geopolitical uh, uh, challenges, and I'm talking here. We we had until recently Cold War point two with China, and when the two two giants collide, everything changes. So we're going through that as we speak. And then, as if that wasn't enough, we now have also Cold War point one making a a, a, a scary comeback. Uh, and it makes it all very, very difficult, really. I, I'm uh, also concerned about a, a political trend, one of populism and, and authoritarianism. Uh, and we forget, we tend to forget that we lucky who live in, 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 the, in the free uh, Western world, rule of law, uh, personal uh, freedom, human rights, uh, we're about a third of the planet, and yeah. the other two thirds is sort of all over, you know. Yeah. So it's yeah. uh, it's one of those times. Uh, well, is that as you summed it up, and we think about all those issues coming together now? Does it make you more pessimistic about emerging markets in general? I mean, many investors would suggest that that's the most attractive public asset class for the next yeah. 10, 10 plus years. But does it make you particularly worried about emerging markets in general or their pockets that you're still bullish on? I, look, I find um, that in the end, a value discipline is hard to beat. Um, but the thing is in emerging markets, there are certain things you, you're used to counting on that you really can't. So you can't take for granted uh, that you will be uh, in a, operating in a space where property rights will be respected and where the rules of the game are 
reasonably predictable so you can you know go and and and, and do your thing so that makes it that makes it a little more complicated you can also you know you can also um in a way benefit from the growth you find uh in emerging markets through uh, the governance of mature economy companies as well so we you know you can build a portfolio of stocks or bonds or whatever whatever whichever asset class you're looking at that will indirectly also say benefit from from what goes on in china or or uh, or in brazil so i i still think the, the the emerging markets should in theory be growing faster why because i'll well, take the case of brazil and i, and I don't want to i don't mean to diminish some of the good things that have happened in Brazil, but we've had a tough 40 years, last 40 years, pretty much since, uh, you know, I've been out of college uh, and then some, um, have been frustrating. We haven't grown that much. Why should we grow faster? Well, it's simple. And it's the, probably the simplest growth theory there is. If you are in a country where everything is so-so, which is the case, sadly, uh, there's a lot of room for improvement. So, you, you know, you can have an optimistic bias if you believe people learn and then they, they just keep trying to do better and you can copy the things that work, you can avoid the, the, the things that didn't work and so on. So I still think that is reasonable, but um, it comes wrapped in a, in, 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 in a ton of uncertainty, a ton of political risk. And so you kind of have to, um, yeah. yeah. Is there a corollary there, Armenio, to the flatlining of Japan for so many years? I seem to recall a similar argument that, you know, how was Japan going to get out of uh, negative interest rates, negative savings rates? It just became kind of the status quo and inertia was hard to unseat. And now Japan has made something of a comeback. What, what's the comparison between Brazil and Japan and kind of these two well, Japan has, has had a shrinking population. The, the growth per capita and, and the, the growth in productivity in Japan have remained pretty good uh, because they also have extremely low interest rates. They've been able to live with, um, uh, you know, a lot of debt, a lot of government debt. Uh, I still think there is some macro risk, but... Um, um, they seem to offset that with, uh, you know, with quality companies. So I, I, I know of people who have uh, invested in Japan, taking a bottom-up approach that have done very well. I, I, I look at China a little bit and I think, where is China going to end up? Because they're also now having to deal with uh, the, you know, the, the downward leg of, of, of the demographics. Um, and you know, they, they have done very well thus far, but it's not easy. And by the way, if the world splits and China stays on the wrong side from our standpoint, and I, and I stand behind that, I don't think they're going to do so well. So I suspect, this is crazy, let me say this with a, a, you know, a, 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 a caution, cautionary word. This, this is somewhat speculative, but I think I, I'm hoping China... In the end, they're gonna say, okay, we're gonna have to manage this relationship with the US and we will kind of try to stay connected. And I think that would be extremely good news. And that's, I'm 
Yeah. I'm hoping that turns out to be the case. I, 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 I don't you, think this is a, an easy bet. You think there's more chance that China stays connected than Russia? No, China, Russia, I think, Russia, I believe we're still in the, uh, following the strategy that was put in place at the end of the Second World War, famously, a fellow uh, named G George Kennan, famous diplomat, uh, wrote a piece pretty much outlining the strategy of containment. And I think it's still the same. It's, it's, it's a little more complicated now because, you know, they, 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 they have, uh, whatever, 3% of the world's GDP, but 40% of the world's, uh, uh, you know, nuclear weapons. So it's a, it's a, it's a strange uh, situation to be in. But I think in the end, it will be a game of patience. What they're doing now in, in, in the Ukraine, of course, is, is ludicrous. And hopefully this uh, won't go so far. And then I believe in the end, Russia will crumble from within because their system cannot in deliver the well-being, uh, the happiness, the freedom that people ultimately want. And the other thing we have going in favor for this somewhat optimistic is communications. Yeah. You cannot hide what's going on elsewhere. You cannot. They try, uh, but, you, many, but they can't. states have tried and kept it hidden or tamped down for a long time. So the question is just how long and how much pain will be suffered before That's there's right. this reckoning that you're talking about? Yeah. In the end, Chaz, I, I think we in the U.S., as you know, I'm a, I'm a proud dual citizen. Of, I'm a U.S. citizen. Uh, I think we have to prove to the world that our system is the best. This is soft power, and that's impossible to beat. If we do that, then I think the folks in China are going to look at us and they say, hmm, that's what I want, and we'll be okay. But we need to do the job here. We cannot slack off. Well, <clears throat> time will tell. Famous words. Before I let you go, Arminio, I'd like you to talk a little bit about one of your more recent projects, uh, and that's, I believe, called Regreen a company that you've recently invested in that I think is timely and fascinating. Rio Green is amazing. As you know, Brazil uh, has unfortunately over the last six, eight years uh, gone back to uh, a, a uh, unfortunately a path of deforestation that is very damaging, not just for us, for the planet. Uh, and Regreen is an operation that is really uh, 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 simple in structure. It is, it is a, a company that buys degraded land, regenerates the forest with uh, also full attention to biodiversity. So it's, we're talking climate change and biodiversity, carbon and biodiversity, and uh, sells uh, the carbon and locks the land. So it's not a play on land, it's the opposite. The land will be bought. Usually we're talking low grade pastures with uh, degraded soil and so on. And um, I, I find it to be fascinating. We have the best scientists uh, and uh, we have um, a lot of room to, to work. Our goals are, 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 are substantial. We're about five of us investing um, and um, I'm on the board. We meet every month, and 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 and, and I I, uh, I I don't think I've ever been uh, as excited about an investment as this one. I have been more excited about the potential to make money. This thing is risky, but we also have, I believe, to finish a very 
substantial tailwind coming from the regulatory world, coming from a world that worries about ESG and, and so on. So I think that is also very helpful, but it's, it's gonna be tough, but it's looking good. So far, so let's good. Make, well, let's make ESG and impact kind of the last topic. As you may not be aware, Rosemont has made a significant commitment in its investments to ESG and impact oriented firms. We invested in Boston Common in Boston, which is a five plus billion dollar public markets, internationally focused, institutionally credible pioneer. And then we've also invested more recently in Veris Wealth Partners, which is an open architecture wealth management business that is completely dedicated to the interests of investors who see the world through ESG and impact lenses. So equity, diversity and inclusion, um, climate change, social justice, et cetera. This is a groundswell, as you know, in the United States and in North America. And I'm curious to what extent these principles are becoming bigger investment principles that are being really acted upon by a lot of the money in Brazil, South America, and other parts of the world you follow. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in the States and in Europe, uh, there is... Um, a clear understanding, a widespread understanding of, uh, of the importance of these issues. I think a business will always be a business, uh, but if you take a long-term view, uh, I believe business objectives, value maximization, and uh, concerns about the environment, the social uh, uh, tensions that surround us, um, and um, and governance issues are the winning uh, uh, recipe. I do think the younger generations worry about quality of work, about uh, the meaning of life. I, I think all this points towards a, a better world, a more sustainable creation of value. And um, I, I, I'm very excited to be part of this. In the end, of course, you also need a state who, who does certain things that um, only a state can do. But I do think they, they, this is additive. You know, it's, it's more than additive. It's sort of uh, uh, multiplicative if you, in, a, in a positive way. It's, it's, it's great. It's great stuff. I, I, you, you, you're always ahead of the curve. I'm glad to, uh, yeah. to, to hear what you're doing about, but I'm not surprised. That's great. Well, well there's a lot more to do. And uh, I'm excited for the success of Regreen. So I'll follow that. And can't wait to see you in person again and see your beautiful golf swing. <laughs>